0: morning, I'm going to begin in John chapter 15. I'm going to be looking at some other passages as well, but John chapter 15, we'll begin with. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather together as your people and receive grace and peace from you, correction and instruction, rebuke and discipline. Father, you are a good father, and you give us what we need, not always what we want, but certainly what we need. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would grant to us understanding into your word that we might know how it is we are to make progress in Christ. Father, you would bless and help and encourage and strengthen and guide us. Help me, Father. Help my mouth and my mind and my heart that I would be a faithful servant. And I would only speak what it is that you would have me speak. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, this truly is the time of the year. That we make new beginnings, right? This is kind of that time of year. It's a time when we feel like we can press the refresh button, restart. (laughs) And everybody kind of has a feeling like last year's done, the new has begun, and it's a time, if anywhere, where we make resolutions, New Year's resolutions, and we're going to make changes, and we're going to make differences, and we're going to resolve to do this, that, or the other thing. We want to be better. It's inevitable. We want to be better people. We want to be healthier. We want to be wiser. We want to be happier. We want to be stronger. We want to be more prosperous. Isn't that generally true? We want better for ourselves and those around us. We want to improve. We want to move forward. And that means change. But often something happens. We set ourselves up for a fall. Typically, we have all these areas in our lives we want to change or improve, and so we set out to make it happen. However, it seems that often we don't know where to begin or we don't fully understand how it is that we do make progress. And the reason this often happens is because we don't fully understand what it takes we start off with the New Year's resolution, and it's broken before two weeks. Isn't, that's, that's what happens, right? Let's just say for a moment you resolve that you're going to lose some weight this year. This is typically how it works. So what do we do? We obviously need to get prepared, right? So if you're going to make it happen, you got to get ready. So that's what we start off doing. So we set out, and we go buy a gym membership or the Abmaster, or the latest gadget. And then uh, we buy an outfit, because if you're going to work out, you need a new outfit. So you got to buy an outfit, and you can't just have a new outfit, you need some new shoes, and then you get some new shoes, so you got your membership, your outfit, your your shoes, you're ready to go. So you start off Monday, you hit the gym hard, and you're going, and everything feels great, and man, that workout was so good. You're all pumped and motivated with hopes and dreams and becoming these new people. But by Friday, we're eating donuts and watching our favorite TV program, (laughs) making excuses why we just can't get to the gym. What happened? What happened between Monday and Friday, and why, why does this always seem to happen, and why did I not make the progress I wanted to make this year? Well, the reason is, is because we need to understand how it is we actually do make progress. We need to understand that it's more than just a membership and a new outfit. There's more to it than that. This morning, we're going to talk about making progress and how it is we make progress, but I'm not going to be talking about how it is we make physical progress like losing weight, even though there could be some overlap. I'm going to be talking about how it is we make progress as Christians. How do we make progress spiritually? How do we become more godly? That is the most important question. Much more than anything else, how do we grow as Christians? There's one word, if I could summarize it in one word, and this is so helpful to understand, it happens through, now listen up, abiding. Abiding. What do I mean by that? John 15. John 15, starting at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There it is, right there. The question is, the hard part to figure out, is what does it mean to abide? What what does it mean to abide in Christ? Does it simply mean to hold on for dear life? Is that what it means? Does it mean something mystical that we can't really figure out, but somehow it just has to happen? Does it mean we simply just keep, means keeping the faith? You abide in Christ by just believing. What does it mean? Because, you know, if we could figure out what it means, then that's going to be the helpful part. Because we know it says that we're to be abiding in Christ, and if we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that there is the secret, abiding in Christ. So we need to understand what that means. This has been something I've wrestled with for many years and have just struggled to fully even understand. What exactly does that mean? But the conclusion that I've drawn from the rest of Scripture as you put, try to put it all together is that abiding in Jesus is actually fairly practical and specific. And the reason I say this is because of the following texts. Now, I'm going to look at some places that show us and reveal to us what this perhaps means. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, in that same chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Word of God. And then John 17, 17 says this. And the Word, and this is what the Word says. The Word, who is God, who is Jesus, He says this. John chapter 17, 17. And he is this one, Jesus is praying to the Father. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Now there's a lot going on there because Jesus says, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Now obviously at that at that time, Jesus is referring to the word written word, but at the same time he is the word, and you know what else he is? He is the truth. Jesus is the word, and Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth. In the life, so Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Word. Yet we also know He's referring to the Word written. The Word written is the word are the words of Jesus that have been inspired and written down. These are this is what He's declared. So we know that Jesus is the Word. We know that these the Bible are His words. So if we abide in this Word, we abide in the Word Christ. So part of abiding, we know that. Part of being sanctified, he says, sanctified by the truth, your word is truth, is by the word. The word is an element. As we abide in the word, we abide in Christ, and that word produces fruit in us. This is Jesus, the, the scriptures, are Jesus working through these words in us to produce fruit. So that's one of the aspects. There's more in scripture however about ab- uh, this abiding and what it necessarily means and what it must mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27 Jesus identifies the church as his body. It says, "You are the body of Christ and individually members of it." It also says in Colossians 1:18 That he is the head of the body, the church. And so, this body of saints right here is Christ's body. This is Christ's body. This means that if you're a member of this body, you're a member of Christ. And therefore, are abiding in Christ if you abide in his body, the church. So part of abiding in Christ, the ministry of Christ and how Christ works is through the members of one another. This is his body, after all. So, to abide in him is to abide in his body. This is his body is to abide in the church. And one of the ways we produce fruit by abiding in Christ, or in his body, is by the ministry of one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, hear that? So when each part is operating properly, it makes the body grow, I lost my place, makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. So how do we abide in Christ? Well, one of the ways we abide in Christ is abide in his word. The other way, as we see here, is that we abide within the body, and within that body there's ministry to us. But the scriptures aren't done here either. We also see in scripture that we partake of Christ at his table. In 1 Corinthians 10.16, it says, The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, of course, this raises a lot of questions, and it has throughout the century of the church, about the nature of the bread. Is it not the body of Christ, he asks. But let it just suffice to say this by the spirit we partake of christ at his table the bread does not become physical flesh but rather by the spirit christ is given to us through physical bread there's definitely a mystery there but that's all i'll say for now the fact of the matter is that when we partake of the table we are partaking of christ it's a way, one of the ways we abide in Christ is by feasting at his table. This is his table, his ministry to us, and he's the one offered on top of his table. And he's the one we partake of. Finally, we abide in Christ when we abide at his throne. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we know that we are abiding with Jesus in prayer because in prayer we go to his throne of grace where he is. And we're at his throne and we're dwelling at his throne. We're dwelling in the place where he is. We're abiding at his dwelling place, which is the throne of grace. So to abide in Christ isn't some mystical experience, nor is it simply to believe in him the rest of our days. It is far more practical than that. Abiding in Christ is abiding in his word abiding in his body, abiding at his table, and abiding at his throne. And I've said similar things in the past before, but remember, i have even dwelt on Acts 2.42 before. Where did they, what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, to the body, to the table, the breaking of bread, it says, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things, and they were abiding in Christ. And what do we see flowing out of that? Tons of fruit. Fruit was hanging all over the branches. Now, the question is, and here's what I want us to understand, is how how does that work? How does abiding in these actually produce that fruit? So we go back to John 15. It says, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll produce much fruit. So how does that work to produce much fruit? So I think it's, we can look at Scripture and say the way we abide in Christ is pretty practical. It's through the, the means of grace that he's given to us. But the question is, how does this work? Why does it work this way? The short answer is this. It happens by nurturing the seed. Nurturing the seed, the seed of the inward man. And let me explain what I mean. The best way to understand how the word, the body, the table, and prayer Work is to have us look at the sun, soil, water, and weeding and how that works on a seed. There's a tremendous amount of parallels there. If you're you're asked, if I were to ask you, here's the question for you this morning. How do you produce fruit with an apple seed? What would you say? Give you an apple seed and say, how would you produce fruit with this thing? Well... Hopefully, you would say, I'd take this little seed, I'd plant it in some good soil, make sure it got lots of sunlight and plenty of water, and I took care of the weeds around it, and then pretty much the rest would take care of itself. And as long as there's good light, good soil, good water, and it's taken care of, there's no weeds choking it out, it'll, it'll start growing. And if all those conditions remain the same, what'll happen? One day, it'll be big and strong, and it's going to produce all kinds of fruit. Now, let me ask you another question. If you really wanted to contaminate that tree, what would you do? If you wanted to stop the fruit production, what might you do? Well, I would probably choke out one of those factors. I'd either contaminate the soil, block it from sunlight, and make sure, or make sure it gets no water, or somehow allow the other things to choke it out. We understand that, right? But what did the seed do? What did the seed do? did nothing. It just kind of got planted in a, in a particular kind of environment, and God did the rest. Within that environment, if you put it in that environment, all these factors are working on it. It grows up big and strong and produces lots of fruit. The same is true of us. So the question is, how do these means of grace, how do these... How does the word and the fellowship and the table and prayer, how does it work on us? It works on the same way that these other factors, like the sun, soil, rain, and weeding, work on a seed. This is why, back to John 15, Jesus here is using a similar analogy when he's talking about the the vine and the branches. How does a branch produce fruit? Well, it pretty much just sticks to the vine, and there it is. And as long as it stays there stuck to that vine... If You know, the juices, the sap flow through it, and fruit comes off its branches. That's all it really has to do, doesn't it? Now, do you tell a seed, if you want to produce an apple seed, little seed, you just got to work real hard. You got to set your mind to it. You got to set a New, new Year's resolution, little seed. And if you do that good little seed, you'll do well. Go for it. That is funny, actually, because we know better. But that's often how we approach change, progress, growth in the Christian life. We have a tendency to think that what the way that you produce fruit. Say, okay, there's fruit, the fruit of righteousness. What is righteous? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. As it goes down, right? How do we produce that? Well, we got to start. Let's, let's this year. What are you going to work on? I'm going to work on being more kind. Okay, good to work. So you set the New Year's resolution, you know, you buy the the shoes, the outfit, the kindness outfit, you put it on and away you go and there you are Friday acting like a jerk again. What happened? Well, what happened is you failed to understand how the change happens, how it takes place you have to be abiding. And as you're abiding, God begins nurturing and strengthens the inward man. And now you're able to walk in a different way. Let me give you another example of this, how this might work. Have any of you ever been on like a retreat or gone somewhere where you've really, the whole focus is like a lot of the word, there's prayer, you're praising God, you're with other Christians and you're talking about the things of God. It's just intense. You're kind of like in a a little bit of incubator situation where you have uh, all the, the means of grace being poured on and by the end of the week you're just on fire. I'm going to take on the world, man. It's like you make plans, you have dreams, you're going to, you know, you hit the street Monday and you're going and you just you want to share your faith. You're just, you're vibrant. You feel like you could take on the world, literally. Where are you at Friday? In a lot of cases we're back to our dead, burnt out selves. What happened? Well, you've got to understand you were in a particular environment that produces growth, and then you've got removed for it from it, and now you're not going to last very long like that. So it's essential if we're to make progress in the Christian faith that we have got to be abiding in Christ, in these means of grace. And throughout the year, church history that's why they've called these the means of grace they've called them that because they're the means by which god does that work on the seed and he starts to affect us and change our hearts and next thing you know it changes the way we're living acting and thinking and speaking have you ever wanted to change be different and have you ever sought to change that behavior? I'm pretty sure most of us have, haven't we? You know, that besetting sin that drives you absolutely berserk? You ever hated yourself? Yeah. You ever got so upset at yourself? And why do I do that every time? I can't stand that. That's it. I'm changing. I'm going to be different. And again, we go about it the wrong way. The secret... If you want to know the secret, if there could ever be such thing as a secret, is learning how to abide. abiding in Jesus. Now this is what we've got to set our lives up and make priorities in our lives where we get into the word, Plenty. Prayer, plenty. We're with one another, plenty. We're at the table, plenty. We've got to go. We're in getting ourselves in that environment where we can be nurtured and built up. If we're not, we're in trouble. And all we have to do is look at our own lives. You know, one of the things that we try to do, even with these, the community groups, as we're calling them now, the whole idea of the concept is that the, organize some kind of situation scenario where you can take some, apart from this particular service during the week, meet in a home and apply those means of grace with one another and build up one another. That's the idea of it. We want to have a place where that can happen. We want to create an environment and put seeds in there. You want to grow a disciple? You want to mature a disciple? You have to create an environment where the means of grace are there to minister to those people. So... The success of it varies and ebbs and flows depending on how much we can do it and get together and actually apply the means of grace. Because a lot of times it's easy to, we can get together if it's just getting together and have a meal or something. But that's not the same thing as getting together and spending time in the word and prayer and encouraging one another specifically designed around that purpose. When that happens, it feeds our souls and strengthens us and builds us up. I cannot overemphasize that enough. That is essential and important. And the very thing that we have to look at, when we look at our lives and we see issues and problems and we find that our heart is cold and we find that we're struggling and, and man, I just want to make progress. If you're frustrated with yourself, that is a massive sign that we're not abiding the resolution need to be made is that I have got to resolve to somehow can, to do all that I can to be abiding in the means of grace so that God can will minister to me and change my heart and then that will flow out, fruit will come out. And that has to happen, you can't the rest of our lives. If you want to grow up to be a massive tree that produces massive fruit, then that has got to be something that happens to the rest of your life. You can't get to the point where you've, you're, a, you're a great tree, you're a big tree, then all of a sudden you can remove yourself from those means. It like take that apple tree that's producing fruit and says, you know what, I'm big and strong now, I don't need this stuff. You take that big and strong tree all by itself and you remove it from the soil, you move it from the sunlight, you remove it from the rain, what's going to happen? It's dead. It will die and shrivel up no matter how big it is. It doesn't matter. You have to remain there the rest of your life. It isn't something that you just, you know, you can do temporarily. Our growth and our progress is contingent upon living there, abiding there. And that all by itself is a tremendous, tremendous clue as to how we make progress. If we could get that, we would, we would make a difference in our own lives. If We get the importance of applying those means of grace in our lives. But there's another component. And here's something. So the, the first part of this sermon was to, to show you how it is, that what it is that you need to do, what it is that we need to do. If we're to make progress, we have to get ourselves in that environment where we're abiding in Christ. The second factor has to do with God. Well, growth is going to happen in your life. I'm here to tell you, if you're a son or a daughter of the king, he's going to do some things. And so this is good old-fashioned failing and suffering. So you want to make progress. One of the best things about failing, one of the best things about suffering is how much they motivate us to change and God knows that. Hebrews 12, he says you're not even a son unless he disciplines you. Disciplining you is a sign that you're you're a child. What father the question is asked in Hebrews 12, what father who loves his son would not discipline him? If he loves him. There isn't one. How much more our heavenly father And you know why failing and suffering are so effective? It's because they're painful. And we hate pain. (laughs) If that's pain, I don't don't like it. I don't go towards it, unless unless I'm weird. I I go away from it. We don't like pain. But it also, here's the bad part about pain. Pain, if it's not properly understood and properly dealt with, it can cause us to change the wrong things, go to the wrong sources. So there's pain, and here's pleasure, and we go from pain towards pleasure, and a lot of times we can go towards idols. I'm going to read something here, Amos chapter 4, and this is Israel. God is bringing his discipline. God, they're failing miserably, and they're suffering under his judgment, and they're not getting it. So we can, God can spank, God can discipline, and he can do things, but it's very possible that we won't get it and understand what he's doing. Amos, this is a phenomenal passage. And I, as I was preparing for this, I'm just in my daily Bible reading, this is which, where I was at, Amos chapter 4, and I was reading through and I thought, wow, this is such a great explanation of how God works in the world and how we miss it. Amos 4, starting at verse 6. It says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. Now, cleanness of teeth doesn't mean that you know, they didn't have to brush their teeth anymore. <laughs> I made it so that your teeth were nice and bright and you didn't have to worry. That, it's, that expression means you had no food in your mouth to, to dirty your teeth. So it, he says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field of which did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword. I carried away your horses and I made the stench of your camp go up to, up to your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Why was God doing all these things? To discipline his children, to get them to turn, and yet they would not turn to him. And it just, he kept on, and he laid it on heavier, and he laid it on heavier, and he laid it on heavier. And all these things, Israel failed to learn the proper lesson from their suffering what they would do is instead either look to themselves and how they were acting. They wouldn't look to themselves and how they're acting to Yahweh. They would look, they were probably, and this is me guessing now, they were probably turning to their false idols and then trying to appease these gods that they, like the other nations did around them so that these gods would somehow then turn the tap back on. Because that's what the other nations did. The rain god, the sun god, the the fertility god, the god who who is in charge. That, that the mindset of the pagan was he must be ticked, and the way you make this god produce is we got to bring him more offerings, we got to bring him more gifts, and if we do that, then then we can get him to turn the tap back on again. That's how the pagan god system works. You have to appease those gods, and Israel was. Doing that, we know from the other prophets that they were continually following after the gods of the other nations. And even though God was bringing these judgments and this discipline, they misunderstood them and then they were completely acting in, in an inappropriate way. Turning to these other gods and not to back to Yahweh. But you know what? We do the same thing. When we fail, we fail... Or when we suffer, and then all of a sudden we start to to look at other things, other our circumstances, and and wondering why this happened. Well, it couldn't be me. It's got to be them or my circumstances. And if I could just change them or my circumstances, then things would change for me. Well, when God brings failure into our lives, when he brings suffering into our lives, the very first thing we have to do is look right here. Say, God, you're doing something and and I need eyes to see what's going on. You know, self-examination is the very first thing that ought to take place. And this is why we mess up God's discipline in our lives. We think it happened for the wrong reasons. And Christians will do this. Even look at the judgments that are coming in this nation currently. Sin is on the increase, right? God's judgment is as well. What's the solution? What are the answers? Are we turning and saying, oh, God, have mercy on us? Or is there a call to the church to pray, to repent, to turn from its sins, to fall before our God and ask for his mercy? That's not the call. I, you know, So often, if we could just make political some political changes, or if we could you know, make sure that we take care of those wicked people out there, when we don't understand, hey guys, you guys, know, let's just look here, because we've got a lot of problems ourselves. Here's another example of what it's like for us. If we're around people who are problematic in, in the church or in our lives or at work or wherever, what is our response? We typically, what do we want to do? Avoid them, get away from them. Yet God has placed them there for our sanctification, our progress. It's very, our flesh, I'm, I'm first to admit, I'm right there. I don't want to be around anybody who's problematic. I don't like to be around because, again, I don't like pain. I don't like problems. I don't like that stuff. Get me away from that. I want to be where, let's, let's, have, let's live in happy land. That's, that's where I want to live. That's no good. This is good. It's a clear decision. I want this, right? And sometimes we'll fabricate in our minds. You know, The grass is always greener on the other side. We know what we talk about that. What we're doing is we're fabricating a dream of what it's like over there. If I was only over there and away from that crud. Well, guess what you find over there? More sinners, more problematic people, more problems because God is interested in sanctifying you, changing you. That's why you're on the other other side of that fence. You'll probably find maybe worse problems because like Jonah, you ran. And that's, that's because God brings things in our lives and he wants to cause us to change, to turn, to, to turn to him, to f- figure some things out. The same is true in marriage. What's happening in the church today is that so many marriages are falling apart because guess what? Oh, a couple encounters problems. Lo and behold, can you believe it? This person's so annoying, I want to kick him out of the front door. Forget it, I'm leaving first. God, I thought, you know, I used to love this person. Now they drive me crazy. What's the solution, God? Should I leave? That's never the solution. That problem, that person, those circumstances, they're brought into our lives. And one of the very first things that should happen in those situations is, look, you know what? The problem is me. Of course they have their problems they are people being sanctified, but I have my problems. Even if the most problematic people, if they cause you to be irritated, and if you lose your control and you find that you don't know how to function around them, you have a problem. And if you sin because they sinned, and now you like to say, well, I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't have done it, you know, make some kind of excuse, you have a problem. The problem is always with problematic people is that we have our own problems. And so it, it, we hate what it brings out in us. We hate what it exposes in us. And I'm like, oh, not only pain, but I'm an ugly person around this person, so I need to get away from this person. No, 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 no. You need to understand the lesson. Just like understanding Israel needed to say, understand, you people are in sin, and God is doing this to to cause you to turn. God is exposing in you and revealing in you the very thing you need to turn from, and you need to learn to get back to abiding in Christ because he's exposing you. You're not abiding like you should because you can't abide with this person like you should. And it's exposing you. You need to be abiding in Christ and finding strength in him and finding the the patience and the kindness and the gentleness and the long-suffering to dwell there. What you're lacking is grace. And the only place to get that is through abiding in Christ. You know, when problems come, the first thing we need is a mirror. No matter how problematic the person is, we need a mirror. Even if someone is completely out of line and then we respond in an inappropriate way, we need a mirror. There's a book I read some years ago, some of you have as well, called Good to Great. And there was a particular trait they pulled out in this one chapter about all the great leaders. They found it in all of them, and yet they found it absent in the leaders who weren't so great. And they called it the window in the mirror. What the research revealed was that whenever success would come to these great leaders they looked out the window at the others but whenever problems came they looked at the mirror in the mirror at themselves Do you know what the not so great leaders did Whenever success came they looked in the mirror and whenever problems came they looked out the window. This was, a, this was a little bit of a shocker being revealed to them. This is what marks them, and this is what marks them, a particular trait. Now, I've got to tell you something. That isn't something our flesh likes to do. Our flesh wants to flip that around. I want to. You want to. When, you have, when, things, when success comes, we like to take ownership. When problems come, we like to cast blame. Because our flesh loves itself. We love the self, precious me. We don't love sanctification. We don't love when God brings the failure and the suffering and the problems because it it exposes way more than we like exposed. But if you're going to make progress in 2014, you need to begin looking in the mirror. With all the problems, with all the failures, what's happening around in your life, this is something that when you know, when you know what you ought to do, you can do it differently than when you, you know, you, what you don't know or you understand. You automatically go to where you're tempted. You will be tempted every single time you are tempted to cast blame. You're tempted to protect yourself. That's what your flesh will do every time. But when you know, you think, okay, I'm being tempted and I know what I ought to do, you can make progress even when the problems and the sufferings come your way because you can respond not according to your flesh, which you're tempted to do, but do what you ought to do. Take take the problems, take the circumstances, and realize this is from God and it's revealing in me a problem that I need to change. When you realize you need to change, what should you do? Make a resolution to change? Well, there are particular sins that, yeah, you, you simply need to change. But you're not going to have fruit coming out of your, off your tree. You're not going to be the person you need to be unless you are abiding in Christ. So you want to make progress in 2014? What do you need to do? You need to abide in Christ so that seed of the inward man is nurtured and strengthened and grows up to produce fruit. And then you need to take all the problems and the failures that come your way that God brings and get out a mirror and look at yourself and let it expose you so that you at that point can then turn and turn in the right direction, turn toward the Lord, turn toward him to give you the grace, look to him and continue to abide in Christ because There's ways in which you're not abiding. There's ways in which you're not strengthened and being filled up. And so when the problems come and reveal it, let it teach you that you need to get abiding all the more. And if you do that this year, you'll make good progress. You'll even deal with your failures and all the suffering that God is going to bring in 2014 in an appropriate way. You'll deal with it in a sanctifying way, and you'll make progress that's the way god has designed it amen father thank you thank you that you are at work in us both willing and doing for your good pleasure and that you're sanctifying us and treating us as children thank you that you revealed to us the strength that we can find in christ as we abide in him through the means of grace And thank you that you discipline us and treat us as children. But please help us to have eyes to see, to hold up a mirror when the problems come that we might see and understand that we have our problems. And we need to turn to you in those situations and look to you to grant us what we need. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.